0: As far as the Lifeline plan goes, it's a start, but it's just not good enough. And we're not gonna suggest people sign up for it, or, I mean, I guess we're suggesting people to sign up for it now because we're in a dire situation.
1: In the early pandemic days, after a push by activists, the city of Detroit put in place a shutoff moratorium. This last December, in the middle of mass protests, the moratorium lifted.
0: They have said they said at the board meeting yesterday that they are going to start sending water shut off notices to these sixty thousand homes.
1: That's Valerie Jean Blakey, an organizer with the People's Water Board, who helped set up the protests against the moratorium lifting.
0: So you know that's upwards to over a hundred thousand people because we're in a housing crisis and there's. Two, three, four families stuck in a home or stuck in a home, really. It's never okay to shut people's water off. It's never okay to threaten an entire city, sixty thousand homes with this over a hundred thousand people. Water is a human right, water is a human, right. water is a human
1: right. The city didn't just restart shutoffs, though. They did it six months after announcing a lifeline. Or more specifically, the lifeline plan.
2: It's been a controversial topic in Detroit for years. And today, DWSD announced a plan to make water rates more affordable for low income families. It's
1: going to be an income based system focused on three different tiers. we bring in Victor Williams tonight to explain how this is all going to work and who's going to pay for it. Victor.
2: Yes, Devin and Kimberly, if you guys recall, the city used to have an issue with water shutoffs, and officials
1: are now hoping to change that with the Detroit Lifeline program. At least on paper, It's a lot of what activists have been advocating for over the last nine years. So then why aren't people happy? My name is Evan Kanji, and this is all of the water in the world and none of it to drink. One of the main calls of activists has consistently been for water rates to be determined by your income, not by water consumption. The idea is that clean water access is both a basic human right and a necessity for survival. So how you pay for it should be based on what you're able to pay, not what you need to use to support your family. And at first, the Lifeline plan sounds pretty much just like that. For families below 135% of the poverty line, It cuts water and sewer bills down to $18 a month. For families below 150% of the poverty line, it's $43, and for below 200, it's $56. And for families that enroll in the plan, it protects them from shutoffs and forgives past debt. Two long-standing calls of advocates. It's important to know this is a pretty large percentage of the city that we're talking about. There are 200,000 people in Detroit who are below the regular poverty line alone, much less 200% of the poverty line, in a city of 630,000. When I was interviewing folks in January of 2023, the shutoff moratorium had just lifted and Lifeline had been taking enrollments for six months. Many of the people I had talked to had been struggling to navigate a complicated system for enrollment. Do you hear about the new the new lifeline rates that the water department's doing?
3: Mm-hmm. Oh. Trying to apply for them and they won't answer the phone. Really? They'll never get a call back.
1: Wow. So maybe okay. since it's
3: January they will because the moratorium ended in December. Yeah. They don't answer the phone. But maybe now they will Right, won't. yeah,
1: because the moratorium just lifted, right? December yes.
4: 2022? Yep. Mm-hmm. Dirty. So I applied for it. I haven't heard anything yet. But when I asked other Detroit residents if they had heard of it or got this same... Uh, door hanger no one else had heard about it
1: was this the uh, lifeline program
4: yes yes yeah. so like but uh, Larry hadn't heard about it. my other brother hadn't heard about it my aunts that are older and I know that they're checking their mail and things hadn't heard about it no one else that I spoke with that lives in the city of Detroit had heard about it and I'm like how's that possible
1: you're the first person I talked to who got any kind of physical physical notice about it even when the program is able to enroll people, people don't necessarily know they've been enrolled, and their bills don't always show the lowered amounts.
2: You got to call the water company, and then you stay on the phone with them for a while, and then you you know they still don't not getting clarification in a sense, and so you hopefully that when it comes back out, you'll see what it is again. But I just you know feel like mine came back some kind of way with um paying the regular amount and I knew that wasn't right and what have you so I just said to myself and after I, I called the girl she said something and I just said no nah, I'm just going to go on and pay the $18 and see what happens because they don't even have it I don't even think they have it straight in they head them.
1: Miss Barbara wasn't the only one with this issue. When I spoke to Cecily McClellan one of the leaders of We The People of Detroit she told me that this has been a common issue with the program. Ms. Cecily told me that as of February 3rd, this confusion meant that nearly everyone enrolled was already behind, which is a problem because when you fall behind on a Lifeline payment, you owe the water department your original bill, as if you were never enrolled in the Lifeline plan in the first place. Which brings us to a more central issue with the plan, the barriers for a low-income household to jump through the right hoops with the right documents at the right time. Here's Victoria the policy analyst we've spoken with over the last few episodes.
5: It, the, a person, a household's ability, a person's ability to be able to access clean, affordable water should not depend on a utility's capacity to do outreach. Right. So this, you know, they, um, you know, they've done plenty of fairs, they've done plenty of outreach here and there, but it shouldn't depend on their outreach. And it shouldn't depend on a household's ability to do the paperwork, to go through the process to, you know, we've heard across the city that people who people have put in their applications and have no idea the status of their their application they have no idea what's going on there um you know they don't know how long it's supposed to take they haven't heard so you know it's great that they are protected from the shutoffs you know as they're with their application process but the fact that they they feel like they're in the city of limbo they don't know what's going on uh that that you know that's a detriment to the program that's a detriment um and what we would consider not a permanent long-term solution.
1: We the People of Detroit makes a point to distinguish between two kinds of programs when it comes to water, affordability and assistance. You can think of the difference between assistance and affordability as the difference between a charity feeding people and living in a world where systems are set up so that everyone has the means to feed themselves. Assistance programs bail people out of tough situations. Affordability programs set up a system that allocates its costs so that people don't get into them in the first place. In water, an assistance program might be a payment plan for past debt, and an affordability program might be something that restructures rates to ensure they aren't a burden for low-income people. Lifeline at first sounds like an affordability plan. It creates water rates that scale as income does. But for Ms. Daniqua, and many of the other people I talked to, the barriers to entry really hampered its ability to act like one.
3: It looks really like you're attacking the community. Well, if they didn't do this, or they didn't do that, let folks know. And if they need help, help them get the the help they need instead of all this red tape and jumping through all these flaming hoops with the hair on fire.
1: And when I started to dig, Ms. Daniqua's frustration with the whole process started coming through. What Where do you feel like it's good and where do you feel like it's going to fall short?
3: If it's going to fall short because people don't know about it, Mm -hmm. and when they do find out, they're calling, no one's answering, no one's calling back, the miscommunication. That's where it's going to fall short. Okay. So I did happen to receive it in my bill and I called. I've been calling since December. Mm -hmm. Nothing. And then you call some other helpful, supposedly, helpful organizations, nothing, nothing. Don't, they don't communicate to let you know, well, we're closed for this reason or that reason, and try again or something, nothing. You can leave a voicemail, message, nothing, no response. So that that kind of degrades people and hurts people too. That's where the pain comes in. You try, you try, you try, nothing. You, so you're tell you gonna send that bill out. You want that money, but you don't want to help with the resources, you know, take care of people that need the help with it. I don't get that. Do You have people that work for the water department, they can go, they could do it. You can't pay. Oh, we want volunteers. No, no. Stop asking people to do stuff for free. The communication piece, though, is horrible. That's where it's going to fail.
1: Despite its flaws, though, the program does have promise, especially when the need is still as dire as it is.
5: It's difficult because people need immediate relief, obviously. Um, The benefits of the program are that if you enroll, even if you have your application uh, in progress and it hasn't been approved, you are protected from shutoffs. Um, it does wipe away your arrearages. Uh, you know, no, there's no cap to it. They just, it, just, it is wiped away. Um, we've been assured by the DWSD. The what we what we want to see move forward is that this still isn't an affordability program. That is, that is the main sticking point.
1: It's a combination of this promise, the fact of the shutoff moratorium coming to an end. And the still dire need that has led activist groups like the People's Water Board and We the People of Detroit to hold DWSD's feet to the fire. This is a chance to start getting it right for the department, and activists aren't going to let it slip. Here's Valerie Jean Blakey of the People's Water Board.
0: Because we not, we're not going to settle for anything else. Why should we? What if
1: are the better. things you asked for them to change? It
0: can't be a water rationing plan, mm-hmm. Right. You have to remove all the boulders for people to sign up. You have to have the infrastructure so that people can sign up in mass. 60,000 homes is a lot. You have to, if, do you have the infrastructure for that? No, you do not. People are on the phone waiting for a very, very long time and don't get signed up because they don't have the help that they need and they didn't have the infrastructure set up for people to get signed up. So we're demanding that those hoops be removed and that um, the moratorium in place until everybody
1: Both We the People of Detroit and the People's Water Board, as well as several other organizations, took to the streets and started pushing DWSD behind closed doors.
0: We did um, an MLK day and a mass demonstration uh, the day after, and we packed um, the Board of Water Commissioners stuff on Wednesday. And then, um, and we have an ongoing lawsuit, so we're meeting, we're organizing. The next uh, action is uh, Monday, the 23rd, at the federal courthouse here in Detroit. I'm making media as Thank we sir, speak. The
3: end of the moratorium. Activists to, gathering outside City Hall Tuesday, demanding action so from city leaders. Too.
5: What we want is a ban on shutoffs altogether. And we want permanent water affordability, not short-term assistance plans.
1: To its credit, DWSD has begun to address some of the community criticisms. When I was speaking to folks this last January and February, something that came up over and over again was that the monthly cap for water usage was too low, just enough for a household of three.
0: We figured out just a family of three. Well, the problem is with the housing crisis, there's a whole bunch more people living together. Like they are, you know, people are really resulting in living together to take care of each other in in such a crisis. So it just it was unreasonable and didn't make any sense to us.
1: For Victoria and we the people of Detroit, having a volume cap at all was in direct opposition to the whole concept of an affordability program.
5: Well, it what this program does have though that that we're that we want to see, you know, improved on. Is the water usage limit? It it has a limit of six ccs, which is forty five hundred gallons per household, based on a household size of three. So, our argument is that an average of three, a household size of three, isn't necessarily the best number um, that we would recommend to raise it to four. Um, and that affordability programs, at its core, do not have volumetric pricing. So it's not if you go over the forty five hundred, you know. One, that that doesn't exist in the first place. But two, if you do go over in this program, you are charged an extra fee. So um, the, our argument, of course, is that, that that is in part what makes it not a true water affordability program.
1: To the city's credit, they made some significant changes. By the end of February, the usage cap was redesigned to scale with the number of people in a household. While many feel that the usage limits are still too low, Miss Cecily told me it's a significantly lower daily allowance than most other cities. It's a step forward. It's not just the cap that's changed. Enrollments have started to pick up too. According to the city's dashboard, 10,000 out of the 16,000 applications received have been processed and approved, which according to the city's portal includes nearly $9 million of past debt erased and a million and a half dollars to lower water bills to the lifeline rate. It's a start. But Detroit is a city of 630,000 people, and 32% of its residents live in poverty. That's over 200,000 people below the poverty line alone. And while there isn't great data on people under 200% of the poverty line, we know that it's an even larger fraction of the city. The Lifeline Plan, which serves people up to double the poverty line, has by the city's own account benefited 32,000 people in the enrolled households. For many water advocates like Mama Monica, the program's inability to reach anywhere close to the overall need is a major sticking point.
4: We know in Detroit alone you've got $85 million in arrears, and then you've got 60% of the population. What is it, 60,000 households that are unable or right now have not been able to meet their water debt obligation? Mm -hmm. And I just find it so interesting, Mr. Brown only wants to talk about servicing 20,000 households. But if you equate the 225,000 members or households that he says we're servicing and you look at it in terms of its ratio to the 60,000 that are struggling, that equates to about 40% of the population. (laughs) So the very number of people that we already knew before the pandemic were struggling, about that same number is still struggling. Mm -hmm. But the conversation is one we're only going to focus on the 20. And I find it problematic when he's struggling to even get the 20 to sign up.
1: Lifeline's reach is a start, but it's at best a drop in the bucket. It's like what Victoria said earlier.
5: A person's ability to be able to access clean, affordable water should not depend on a utility's capacity to do outreach.
1: And that's the problem. When the utility is already on shaky footing with the community, a lack of adequate communication doesn't just feel like an oversight. It feels personal. We spent the first couple episodes talking about the distrust that has been built up from a decade of shutoffs, a host of other issues, poor ties to the community, and a past lack of communication. Given that history, and this relationship to the bigger structures aligned against the city that we talked about in our first episode, why would people trust a good faith but flawed attempt at making things right? When I first asked Miss Valerie about the organizing they've been doing around the Lifeline Plan. She told me this.
0: Oh, not the trusted people in the room. (laughs) It's actually laughable how they're not the trusted people. (laughs) Like the whole community is like, yeah, you say it, but (laughs) nobody's going to believe this. Nobody's going to do this. You're not the trusted people in the room. And turns out we were the trusted people in the room
2: and they knew it.
0: It happened literally a month after they announced it. Like who says, Oh, we need you to do this, 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 and this. So it's equitable.
1: Because of the history of the water department with the community, missteps can feel like just another targeted slight. I asked Miss Barbara about the usage cap before it adjusted by the number of people in the house. And this is what she told me.
2: Got a bunch of kids in the house. Other people said Um, They bring in their relatives that don't have, have a place to stay. So that just adds on to the water bill. And water is essential for life. And so it begins to be, I feel like, the government and the city, local, whoever else it is, they just don't care. And that you just have to, just like I said when my water was cut off, just have to try to figure out a way to, 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 to do whatever you need to do.
1: As I kept asking Miss Barbara questions about the Lifeline Plan and her water situation in general, I started to hear more and more resignation in her voice. She's a senior citizen and she's been dealing with BS from the water department for a long time. In the first episode, She talked about her experience dealing with a month-long shutoff a few years ago. Now, Lifeline seems a little too good to be true. Like the city is trying to do enough to calm people down while still giving them the short end of the stick.
2: To me, it seems like it's like a gimmick to it. I don't know the gimmick, but that's what it
1: seems like.
2: Like I said, I would see it like a little kid. They give you a piece of candy and say, well, hopefully the issue will go away for a minute.
1: For a lot of people, the present issues mean that the future potential seemed like, well, dangling candy in front of a baby. If that program was going to work the way they said it did, like like if you were able to get enrolled and stuff, how would you feel about it? I
4: don't know. We'll see if I can get
1: enrolled. And for some of the city's most vulnerable residents, the program isn't accessible at all.
0: These are the things that we're getting when we're doing intake calls, um, uh, immigration status, not having a social security number or access to your social security security number. Um, uh, There's uh, being uh, being with like a slumlord or a landlord that just really doesn't give a shit uh, about like whether you have water or not. Like this, that's a lot. There's uh, infrastructure problems a whole host of things that are stopping people from signing up for the Lifeline plan. So simply um, uh, just saying, hey, I'm a person, I live here, I need to sign up for this plan, needs to happen. Like, like jumping through hurdles with people who are already struggling in their life is, uh, it adds um, trauma that is, it, 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 it lives for years.
1: Mr. Taniqua mentioned briefly in our first episode that Detroit has become a city of renters over the last 10 years. And since water bills are typically in the property owner's name, but are often passed illegally onto the renter, the Lifeline plan's requirements leave behind a lot of low-income renters.
3: So, I'm looking at my water bill. My water bill is $17 a month. But I'm paying 60. What? What? Right, for something I'm not responsible for.
1: Right, because you're a renter.
3: Because I'm a renter. And if you don't know your rights, And it clearly states, in your lease, you only pay water. But the the slumlord is passing it on to me. How do I know the difference?
1: To make matters worse for the city, the Lifeline plan doesn't have funding long-term. The program has $15 million total in funding, and $10.5 million of that has already been spent. Gary Brown, the director of DWSD, originally told the local media that the program had enough funding for two years into mid 2024. Residents aren't wrong or crazy to fear a lack of follow-through on a promise. Already, Plumbing Assistance was promised as a part of this plan to help low-income households deal with leaks that might push them over their monthly water allowance. But the Plumbing Assistance Program's website has one message.
5: Due to the high demand, the plumbing program is currently at capacity. Should new funding become available, we will reopen the application we appreciate your understanding.
1: Ms. Cecily told me it's read this single line since before the start of the Lifeline program. So it's not hard to see why lacking a long-term source of funding would make a lot of residents feel like this is a little bit too good to be true or maybe even a piece of candy to placate them. It wouldn't be the first program to go up in smoke. And for a city that's been ostracized by its suburbs and disinvested from for decades at a state and federal level, It's fair for residents to wonder where the money is going to come from. But when it comes to efforts to advocate for more funding from the state and federal government, local history often gets in the way.
4: Utilities. You're going to make it awful hard. Hard as hell. To make an argument with you to get more funding from the state and the federal government when you're unwilling or incapable of giving me hard numbers on who's being shut off and turned back. Mm-hmm. It's hard to make the case for you. Even if y'all don't give a shit about my community getting water. It's hard for me to keep telling the feds and the state to give you more money, but you can't give me basic data. But then If I bring a microphone and I bring federal funding, you can give me that information in minutes. So, I mean, I just think that that is the conversation that we're trying to have. We're not trying to shame utilities, and I think that this is where they become a little fickle. They're so afraid of backlash, of some kind of political fallout for what they do or don't do. What they don't recognize, that political fallout is there whether you do or don't do but you could have a major ally in people like me and my community.
1: And so that's the conundrum. It's impossible to present a unified front or for the community to trust what the utility would do with more funding without building more trust. But it's really hard to build more trust when the utility doesn't have the funding to do its job well. Now, the Water Department is in a spiral. Very few people in the city trust them because of the history and tension with the community, which also means that when they make what really is a good faith effort to move forward in a more equitable way, no one seems to trust that it comes from a good place either and that the flaws in the plan aren't seen as accidents or failures or kinks to work out. They're seen as something more insidious, just another way for the water department to keep taking. But without a path forward that people buy into, nobody will ever trust the water department And so here we are circling the drain. Lifeline does have promise as a path forward. And the Water Department does deserve credit for finally starting to heed the call for income-based rates. But it could just as easily fizzle into the dustbin of DWSD's attempts to placate the community while continuing shutoffs. And so the question is, what now? What does it take to restore trust and repair past harm? We'll tackle that in our final episode. This is all of the water in the world, and none of it to drink. Throughout this podcast, there's a couple of things you can do to support the ongoing work on this issue. First and foremost, you can donate to We the People of Detroit at their website, wethepeopleofdetroit.com to support direct water relief for affected individuals. And if you're wondering what role we can play in pushing the state and federal government for policy to support addressing this issue on a deeper level, we'll talk about that and some action steps more in our last episode.